Open your Bibles to Romans chapter 15. Romans chapter 15. As you're doing that, let's just do a very quick review uh, of earlier chapters in this inspired revelation from God. You know, we begin in chapter 1 of Romans where we're, we see very clearly that the gospel of Christ is God's way to save all men and, and to save those who will believe Christ Jesus the Son. As you move along in the reading of Romans, you, you, know, you see in chapter 3 that the wages of men's sins are death, but life is found in God's Christ, in God's anointed one. Reason why? Because he is the propitiation. He is the atonement for man's sins. In chapter 4 of Romans, and going all the way through chapter 8, you know, uh, the main uh, theme of those verses is the fact that justification before God, before our gracious Creator, is by faith. But it's a faith that lives obediently as He conforms to the image of the Son, Christ Jesus our Lord. In chapter 12, uh, we see the point being made that all recipients of God's mercies are called to be holy. Holy living sacrifices. And so therefore, Christians' daily offerings, spiritual offerings, are going to be manifested primarily in this ongoing selfless spiritual transformation. And that's basically chapters 12 into chapter 15. And what we've talked about in those chapters are the various godly changes that we are to have in our life and grow in and cultivate, changes about our own attitudes about ourselves, uh, changes about how we treat one another and have fellowship with brethren, changes even in our attitude toward our enemy, as well as godly changes in regard to the responsibilities to governing officials. That gets us to today's lessons as we get here in chapter 15, starting around verse 8. And our weekly briefing is this, that, okay, uh, Paul has endeavored to preach the gospel, and he's endeavored to do so everywhere, the gospel of God and Christ, in order to bring about obedience. Obedience, not to him or to men, but rather obedience to Christ, particularly among the Gentiles. And so what, we're gonna, what we have pretty much here in these verses is you're kind of coming back around with, with some of the same points you started with in Romans chapter 1. And so you, you're, you have some introductory things in chapter 1 and following, and then we're coming all the way back to kind of summation statements as Paul br- you know, brings you know, these practical lessons to view. So I'm going to read here in chapter 15. We're going to read verses 7 through 13. 13 will be our reading today, but we'll continue to kind of talk about the other verses as well. But starting there in Romans 15, verse 7, it says, Therefore, accept one another, just as Christ also accepted us to the glory of God. For I say that Christ Jesus has become a servant to the circumcision on behalf of the truth of God, To confirm the promises given to the fathers and for the the Gentiles to glorify God for his mercy. As it is written, therefore I will give praise to you among the Gentiles and I will sing sing to your name. Again, he says, 
Rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. And again, praise the Lord, all you Gentiles, and let all the peoples praise him. And again, Isaiah says, There shall come the root of Jesse, and he who arises to rule over the Gentiles, in him shall the Gentiles hope. Now may the God of hope fill you with all joy and peace in believing, so that you will abound in hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. So let's start talking a little bit about the verses we, we are you know, assigned to look at today. In these first few verses, 8 through 13, what we have being emphasized is the fact that Jesus is God's servant to everybody. And particularly in this context, you have the, those two biblical groups that are so, so often described. you got those who are of the Jewish people, and then you got all the rest of the world who are described as the Greeks or the Gentiles. And Paul is basically coming back to this point because it's so vital for us to understand that Christ is the Lord and King and Savior and Mediator and Redeemer for everybody. Not just for a select few. He, he has come for everybody, for both Jews and Gentiles alike. And you think about some of the things that Paul had already laid out earlier in, in Romans. For example, in Romans chapter 3 where it emphasizes that both Jew and Gentiles are sinners. There's not a single one of us that are without sin. And if everybody is a sinner, then everybody needs Jesus. And so Paul laid that very, that very clearly and boldly in, in chapter 2 and chapter 3 of Romans. And then as you, you know, read a little further on, it talks about in chapter 4, justification, it emphasizes that both the circumcised and the uncircumcised, another way to talk about Jews and Gentiles, he says both groups are justified by faith. So everybody's a sinner, everybody's going to have to be justified by the same way. And so in then chapter 10, we are told, whoever calls on the Lord's name will be saved. Who's, who's it available to? Who's it open to? Well, it's for everybody. But, you know, but each person must by faith choose to call on the name of the Lord in the prescribed way that Christ has commanded. Or in Romans chapter 11 where it talks about how, verse 32, God desires to show mercy to whom? To everybody. And so here as Paul is kind of wrapping up this great discourse about the power of the gospel of Christ to save sinners, he comes back to the point to say, God's servant, Jesus Christ, came to serve everybody. Jesus himself taught the same thing, time and time again. For example, in Mark 10, verse 45, very familiar verse to, to, to you, where Jesus says, Even the Son of Man did not come to be served, but what? To serve, right. Jesus came to serve, and in serving, goes on to say in that same verse, he came to serve and to give his life a ransom for many. So Jesus himself preached that same message. And so Paul is coming back to that truth, and it's vital in understanding the power of the gospel to impact individuals' lives, and that we, you know, we don't need to be prejudiced or self-righteous about who gets the gospel or not. And so in accord with God's truth, in accord with God's plan, what Paul says here in these 
opening verses in our section today is not only is Jesus God's servant for everybody, he came to serve on behalf of all men. He says he came to do a couple things. One, he came to confirm the promises to the fathers. You see that in verse 8. He says, okay, God's servant of the circum- to the circumstances on behalf of the truth to confirm the promises given to the fathers. So that's one thing the servant God did. He confirmed the promises that had been made to the fathers. And here, this is another way to describe the Jewish people, but particularly which Jews or which Hebrews, we should say, go all, you know, way back into the Old Testament, which Hebrews were, were kind of the ancestral fathers of the Jewish nation. Three big names. Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Those are kind of the ancestral beginning fathers of the nation. And, and so here Paul says, Jesus is God's servant, and as God's servant, he came to confirm those promises that God made to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Promises that are found in the book of Genesis, the very, very first book of the Bible. But Jesus said that's why he came. For example, in Matthew 5, 17, yeah, yeah, Matthew 5, 17, Jesus says, I didn't come to destroy or abolish the law, but I came to do what? To fulfill it. See, he came to serve. He came to fulfill, to confirm All that God had previously said, promised, and foretold. And that's why at the end of his ministry, after his death, before he ascends, you know, so he's been raised from the dead, he's appearing to disciples and apostles, and Luke 24, verse 44, he explains to the apostles, you know, before he goes back to heaven, he says, I came to fulfill what? I came to fill the law, what else? The prophets, and what else? The Psalms. Everything that God has said, he says, I came to fulfill. And that's what Paul is saying here. He says, God's servant, who's Jesus Christ, he came to confirm the promises to the fathers. And what that says to us is something about the character of God. God has been and is always faithful. And Jesus Christ was the embodiment of that faithfulness. He was the embodiment of divine faithfulness on earth because he came to serve and he confirmed all that God had spoken concerning the Christ, concerning the Messiah. But that's not all he did as a servant, because he came to confirm the promises to the fathers, which would have been those ancestral fathers that then brought about the nation of Israel and the Jewish people. But also he said he came to call Gentiles to glorify God for the very mercy that they are receiving. He said, I came to confirm the promises you know, the Jews were recipients of those promises. But he said, but also I came to do something else. I didn't just come for the Jews. I came also for the Gentiles. And I came that the, came so the Gentiles would glorify God because of mercy that they had received. Remember what we talked about in chapter 10 and 11? You know, 
the foreordination, the election, the predestination of God and his plan for salvation. And he says, a people who were not his people would be called what? My people. All right? And a people who had not received mercy, what? Would receive mercy. And so Jesus, the servant of God, came to, yes, to confirm the promises, but also to call Gentiles, you know, to glorify God, because they are recipients of the mercy of God. And what we have here in our reading, verses 9 through 12, you have four different you know, quotations from the Old Testament. And I've got them up there on, on the PowerPoint. You got two from Psalms, one from Deuteronomy, and the fourth from Isaiah. And so you've got these quotations, and all of these quotations relate to the fact that God had something to say about the Gentiles. In, in Psalm 18, what it is, it's a psalm of praise. And it's a psalm of praise about God's deliverance. And that's what he says, okay. You know, he says, I'm going to praise you, I'm going to praise you, God, among the Gentiles. And so here's a psalm that the Hebrews, you know, would have sung. And in that psalm, it talks about the praise of God being lauded among Gentiles. Then in Deuteronomy 32, you have a song of Moses. So you go, you go way back now, you know, several hundred years earlier, to a song of Moses. And we find in that song, the instruction in the song of Moses, and it's a long song, it, 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 part of it is the statement found in verse 10 of Romans. says, rejoice, O Gentiles, with his people. So a song of Moses calls upon Gentiles who are not God's people at the time to rejoice with God's people. And you keep on going down. Psalm 117 is another, it's a very short one, two verses. It's a, it's a, song of, a psalm of praise about God's loving kindness and God's truth. But once again, it calls upon Gentiles now. Not only will God be praised among Gentiles, he now calls Gentiles to praise. And he ends with Isaiah 11, which is Psalm, I mean, Isaiah yeah, uh, uh, 11 verse 10, where it talks about the idea of the root of Jesse. Who's Jesse? It is the father of King David. And so out of this family lineage, there's going to come one who would judge the earth. And, and this judge of the earth would be the one to whom nations would look to as their standard. The standard that they would they would they would follow the guy. Think about a standard in a battle. That as long as you know that standard is held up, so you know the regiments those know know you know you know where they are, where they're going. They've got to have some signal, you know. So in ancient culture, you had standards, these flags, you know, that kind of help direct you. And he says Jesus will be that standard to guide the Gentiles. Now, interesting, you have four prophecies and promises that relate to the messianic hope as it connects to the Gentile people. And what Paul is doing here, he is confirming the fact when he says, okay, Christ the servant came to confirm and he came to call. And he says, and let me tell you, you know, or show you, that was God's plan all along. And so he quotes four things from the Old Testament to basically say, 
God's plan all along the way was to include Gentiles in his blessings. That has always been God's plan, and that's even spoken in the very first promise spoken to Abraham. And so that's, you know, like I say, that's the first section here where he emphasizes Christ is the servant for everybody, and because he is, we need to have an attitude where we want to share that gospel with everybody, and we want everyone to come to Jesus Christ, and we're going to accept all of those who are in Jesus Christ. And so it ends, you know, kind of here in verse 13, you know, you know, with a prayerful exhortation to these Christians in Rome. And he prays that basically those Christians in Rome would be filled and abound in joy, hope, and peace. So that's the first section. But then he shifts. Once again, Paul is kind of summing up his great discourse to the Romans here in this book. And you get into the next section of Romans 15, 14 through 21, where now it gets a whole lot more personal. So the previous paragraph emphasized, okay, the gospel's for everybody. That's how Romans 1 started, and that's how Romans is going to end. Romans is going to start and end with the fact the gospel is for everybody, and we need to understand that, and we need to treat each other that way, and we need to live that way, getting the gospel out to everybody. But so now in, in this next session, Paul gets a little more personal, talking about his own purpose, his own mission, and the fact that his goal was to bring about the obedience to the gospel, particularly among the Gentile people. Well, very quickly, I wanted to very quickly turn over to Acts 26. Acts 26, where you have one of the defenses that Paul makes about his role as an apostle of Jesus, as a proclaimer of the gospel. Now, the events of, Rome, of, of, of Acts 26 would have been post the writing of Romans. So the letter of Romans would have been written prior to the events of Acts 26. But in Acts 26, Paul is given a defense, and Paul recalls what Jesus told him, what his purpose would be as one chosen directly by Christ to take the gospel to the world. So in chapter 26 of Acts, you know, reading just 16 through 18, he said, you know, you, know, you have the Lord speaking to, to Saul. This is on the, the journey, you know, to Damascus on the road and the events that transpire. And Jesus speaks to him and he tells him, get up, stand on your feet. Remember, he fell on the ground when that light shone around him. He said, okay, get up, stand on your feet. For this purpose, this is Jesus talking to Paul. For this purpose, I have appeared to you, to appoint you a minister. Well, and that's what he's, he's going to talk about in this paragraph in Romans. He's going to talk about his ministry. He says, and so Jesus, I appointed you a minister and a witness not only to things which you have seen, he says, because he just saw the Lord. <laughs> and so he's going to be a witness of what you just saw. But he says, but there's going to be a whole lot more than that. He says, you're going to be a witness and a minister of what you have seen as well as to the things in which I will appear to you. There's more that Paul is going to have to learn. He says, but you're going to be a minister and witness of all these things, verse 17. Why? rescuing you from the Jewish people and from the Gentiles to whom I'm sending you. And so basically implying, I'm sending you out in the world, and, and how's the world going to treat you a lot of the time? They're not going to receive you. <laughs> you know, 
You know, they're going to reject you, and at times they're going to persecute you. And so he says, I am sending you out as a minister and a witness. And he says, you know, to do, to, to do what I appointed you to do. And he says, and you will be rescued. You're, you're, you're basically, you're, you're, you're jumping out here in the fire. And he says, I, but I will, I will save you out of that fire. And why? In verse 18, to open their eyes so they may turn from darkness to light, from the dominion of Satan to God, that they may receive forgiveness of sins and an inheritance among those who have been sanctified by faith in me. So that is Paul's defense here in Acts 26 to Agrippa as he recalls you know, what Jesus specifically and directly told him what his mission would be for the rest of his life. And in Romans 15, Paul talks about that a little bit. And his purpose was to bring, particularly among the Gentile people, obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ. Now, as you see there in the 14th verse, as he, before he starts talking about himself, he does kind of commend the brethren. He, and he says, there, he says, you know, I'm convinced that you yourselves are full of goodness, filled with all knowledge, and able also to admonish one another. You know, so he just makes a very complimentary statement about the saints, the Christians in Rome. He says, you know, I, you know, I'm confident this about you. You are good brethren, uh, and you have knowledge of the truth, and you are able to do the work that you've been called to do. You are able to admonish one another. And what's interesting, when you think about the book of Romans, the book of Romans was not a rebuke to the saints at Rome. The book of Romans is not a reproof to the saints at Rome. Unlike some of the other letters, particularly the letters to the Corinthian church, you know, Christians in Corinth, you know, that, that, those two letters address very specific problems. And so in those letters, you have Paul rebuking or reproving them about specific sins that the church needed to address. In the book of Romans, that's not the tone of the book. The book of Romans really is simply a reminder of God's amazing grace. That's what it's about. It's, it's the, how God, through the gospel of Jesus Christ, will save all men, whether you're Jew or Gentile. You know, it doesn't matter what your past has been. He will save you if you believe and call and obey Jesus Christ. And so Paul is reminding them about that. And for example, verse 15, he says, I've written very boldly to you at some point, so as to remind you again because of the grace that was given me from God. So Paul recognized the magnitude not only of God's grace for other people, but also in his own life. So that's kind of, you know, he's reminding, you know, I'm not writing to you because, you know, you have all these problems among you. He said, I'm writing to you because you need to know and understand how great and good God is and that the gospel is the power to save everybody. And you think, now Rome, you know, what was Rome to the world? It was the capital, in a sense, of the world, because Rome was the imperial power, you know, and she had, you know, several nations under the power of Rome. And so you think about how here in the capital is a body of God's people. They've been called out by the gospel. They've obeyed the gospel, and they're standing strong, you know, keeping the faith, proclaiming that truth. How important it is to have in that capital, you know, people of God, you know, sounding forth the word. 
And this is, you know, like I said, so this, you know, this is in its very you know, infancy, you know, when you think about the New Testament church being built. But very quickly, I want to just to sum up what Paul says here about his ministry. Because he starts off by saying, he says, I, you know, that he was a minister of the gospel, or, or he administered the gospel as a priest. That's an interesting description here. Paul, and you see that, for example, in, in, in verse 16, he talks about you know, the grace given to him to be a minister of Christ to Gentiles as a priest, the gospel of God. So he says, I ministered, I served you know, by proclaiming the gospel as a priest. In a general way, what a priest would, could be described is someone who's devoted to God's calling. That's a very broad, very broad definition. A priest is someone who's devoted to God's calling and devoted to carrying out that calling. And that's what Paul says. You know, I, you know, when he came to me ministering the gospel to the world, you know, I was God's priest in that sense. I want you to think about you know, some things that the Bible describes priests as. Back in Malachi chapter 2, so the last book of the Old Testament, in Malachi chapter 2, you have the last prophet of the Old Testament you know, reproving the Hebrews in that day, the Jewish people in that day, for having gone astray. And there are things they needed to correct and, and amend to, to be restored back to God. And one of the things that you know, kind of was amiss was the priesthood. Now, this would have been the priesthood according to the law of Moses under the Old Testament system. And so you had a separate priesthood back in that day. And, and so you have some things being said to the priesthood who had strayed from God's righteousness. But it recalls what the ideal of that priesthood should have been. And that's where our focus, I want you to point out here. In the second chapter of Malachi, chapter 2 of Malachi, it talks about how it was to be, you know, a role of the priest was to be an instructor of God's righteousness, of God's word. That was, that was one of the roles. It wasn't just to offer the sacrifices, the animal sacrifices. That was part of it. But, it, you know, but that wasn't all of it. In verse 6 and 7, true instruction was in his mouth. Talk about the ideal of God's priesthood when it was first set up by God. He says, true instruction was in his mouth and unrighteousness was not found on his lips. He walked with me in peace and uprightness and he turned many back from iniquity. For the lips of a priest should preserve knowledge and men should seek instruction from his mouth, for he is the messenger of the Lord of hosts. And that's what the priesthood should have been. That's not what, what the priest was in Malachi. You know, they, they, they had missed the mark. But Malachi, God's prophet, was reminding, this is what the idea was supposed to be, but you've, you've not done that. You failed that mission. So with that in mind, you come back to Paul. Paul is Christ's chosen apostle, sent to proclaim the gospel of Christ, you know, particularly to the Gentile people, other nations besides Jews alone. And he says, I did that. And I, and I did that as a priest. 
As someone who is devoted to the calling that you know, I received from Christ, where true instruction and true righteousness was on my lips, and I turned people's hearts back to God. In a sense, that's what we're all supposed to be doing. All of us, you know, if we have called upon the name of the Lord in obedience to the gospel of Jesus Christ, if we have put on Christ through baptism, in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2 describes Christians in the relationship they have with God in Christ. And there's a number of descriptions that uh, uh, help us to have an, a greater appreciation of the fellowship we have you know, with God through his mercy and grace. But in chapter 2, verse 9, he describes those who are Christians, those who are the living stones in the spiritual temple of God. He says, you, talking about Christians, people of God, he says, you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood. He says, so these Christians that, you know, that are being addressed by Peter in this first epistle, he says, he says, not only are you a chosen people, a chosen race of God, he says, you are a priesthood. And he goes on, and a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. See, here once again, here's the idea. If you are a priest of God, one of the roles of a priest is you are to proclaim God's message. And that's exactly what we're being told here to do. We're chosen. We are devoted to God in Christ. We are his holy people. We have been purchased by the blood of Christ. So now, as those people, chosen and a priesthood and holy, all of that, he says, what we need to be doing is we need to be proclaiming that. Not proclaiming ourselves, no, proclaiming God's excellencies. We need to be the messengers that we are called to be as his people. And Paul says, his role as an apostle, he says, I did that. I ministered the gospel to the world you know, and even to distant places among Gentile people, and I did it as a priest. God's righteousness, God's word was on my lips. I was a messenger for God. And so that's why he also says in this paragraph, talk about how, okay, and as a result, what did I do? I fully preached that gospel, and I did so in the power of the Holy Spirit. And what he means by that simply is, okay, he preached the message, he preached the gospel. He did not hold back anything. He preached the whole purpose or the whole counsel of God. Remember Paul saying that to the elders of Ephesus back there in Acts chapter 20? He says, you know, I pro proclaim to you the whole counsel of God. He says, I did that, but he says, so I did it with power. The power given to him by the Holy Spirit, and that would have been in reference, for example, here in Romans you know, chapter 15, he goes on to talk about how he, he did so with signs and wonders. Verse 19, in the power of the signs and wonders and the power of the Spirit, so yes, he preached the message and he confirmed that the message he preached was truly from God. One thing, he's giving, he's giving if you think, this is his biography, if you want to say. This is, this is Paul's biography of his apostolic work. He said, okay, I was a minister of the gospel as a priest and I fully preached it with power from the Holy Spirit 
And he says, where did I go? He said, basically, I went everywhere. He says, and I, I went to places that other people had not gone. And he talks, and he gives this kind of like, you know, from point, point A to point B kind of imagery. He says, from Jerusalem, which was the beginning point of the proclamation of the gospel after, you know, the ascension of Christ, it is in Jerusalem you know, the apostles began preaching Jesus, and you have the first converts, you know, there in Jerusalem, and from that point, it spread. And Paul was a major component in making that spread possible, and he says, I did it from Jerusalem, even as it says here, to Illyricum, and that's not a word that we usually think of. It's not one of the familiar ones as Bible students. You talk about Asia and and Greece, and Italy, Rome. You talk about all these other prophets in Galatia, and uh, Ephesus, all these different places that are more familiar to us. So Illyricum is not one that's familiar to us. And what it was, it was a northern region in the Grecian peninsula. That's what it is. He says, and so basically, I went as far to the northern stretches of the peninsula of Greece. And the point is, he says, I went far preaching the gospel where the, preacher, pre, the gospel had not gone. And, and so he makes that point to say that, okay, you know, I went and preached the gospel fully. You know why? So that people who had not heard would hear. And he quotes Isaiah 52, 15. To me, this is just a beautiful, beautiful you know, work of the Spirit connecting the dots for us. At the end of chapter 52, you have the beginning, uh, you have a reference to the exalted, the exaltation of God's servant, ser- servant. And you've got those first latter verses of chapter 52, the, the, uh, the servant is going to be exalted by God. But then immediately after verse 15, you go into chapter 53, and what's chapter 53 about? It's about that servant suffering. So you got the exalted servant now suddenly suffering, and at the end of chapter 52, 52 it says here, as, as Romans quotes, they who had no news of him shall see, and they who have not heard shall understand. And the Holy Spirit, as Paul says, that's the Gentiles. That the Gentiles are going to hear about the exaltation and the suffering of God's servant, Jesus Christ. And so for that reason, and therefore I presented to God sanctified offerings of obedient Gentile God. So in a sense, his offering to God was those he saved. Yeah, animals, he's not talking about human sacrificing here, but he's talking about his offering to God was the completion of his mission. And the fact that uh, when he converted these people, he, in a sense, was bringing to, bring to God these souls that have been saved by the power of the gospel. People who are reconciled, people who are justified, people who are sanctified, and they are now the acceptable, holy, living sacrifice to God. See the connection? The connection between what Paul says here about presenting them as, a, as an, an acceptable, sanctified sacrifice to God to chapter 12? Because those who are saved, those who have been called, reconciled, justified by faith 
in Christ through God's grace. What are they now? They are holy, living sacrifices to God. And Paul says, and that's what I did. I ministered, I preached, I went everywhere I could, and I presented those offerings back to God because that's who they belong to. And then you get to the last section as you're trying to you know, do some summations here of, of chapter 15. You know, he talks a little bit about how he had planned for quite a while. He wanted, to, he wanted to meet the Christians in Rome. Paul has not yet gotten there. And so he's talking about how, you know, you know I've been planning to come see you guys for a long time, but I just haven't made it. I haven't been able to get there yet. And he explains why. He explains the reason I haven't got, got there is because of my labors in the kingdom. That's why. I've been too busy preaching the gospel. I've been too busy taking the message to places where the gospel had not gone yet. You know? And so he hadn't been able to get to Rome yet because he had all this other work he had to, he had to get done. And so he talks about here about you know, he has his travel plans. He says, my goal is, he says, I, I plan to... To see you on my way to Spain. Okay? So that's his plans. That's Paul, Paul's plan is, I'm going to stop by and see you, brothers, and meet you. I haven't met you. I've heard about you. He's writing to them this, you know, this letter. He says, but I'm, he's not met them. He said, but I, my plan, I'm going to come by on my way to Spain. So that's Paul's travels plans. Now, did Paul's plans always work out that, the way Paul planned? Okay, what are we told in Acts 16 about some places that he wanted to go to preach? He was prevented. He, he wasn't prevented. He wanted to go. Those are places that needed to hear the gospel. But at that moment, the Spirit redirected him. And you know, it is, it is in chapter 16, he talked about the, Macedo- the Macedonian call. You know, the, the vision of someone, come over and help us. Okay? So Paul's plans didn't always work out the way Paul planned. But that was Paul. Paul says, I'm going to come see you guys on my way to Spain. Why is he going to go to Spain? Is he going on vacation? Is he retiring? Preach the gospel. See, that's the the context. The context is all about Christ is the servant for everybody, and I have ministered my entire life as a Christian that way, and I'm, I'm hoping to see you guys, and I am going on to Spain because the gospel hasn't gotten there yet. I'm going to take the gospel there. Now, Paul, as he says this, he says, I'm convinced that this is going to happen, you know, with, you know, Christ's blessing. Yeah, and you, you, see, you see that as he begins here in 22 and following, you know, that the, with the blessing of Christ, verse 20, I know that when I come to you, I will come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. He says, I know this. I'm going to come in the fullness of the blessing of Christ. So he, he believes that he will arrive in Rome with God's blessing. Did he? Yes. But did he in the way that he thought he would? No. In what manner did Paul arrive in Rome? As a prisoner. And that's how, you know, that's how Acts ends. He's captured. He's being you know, put on different courts. And he finally appeals to, to Caesar as a means of justice. And that's how he gets to Rome. All of that was with God's blessing. Christ. It just wasn't in the way that Paul 
had in mind at first. That's not what he's thinking in Romans 15 when he says, you know, you know, my plan, you know, he says, I'm coming, guys, and, and I'm going to stop by and see you, and, and then I go on, I go on to Spain. You know, he does come, but just in the way it happened. But before he gets there, he has, once again, Paul's, Paul's a, you know, like his Lord, like his king, he is all about serving, and not only serving in the way of proclaiming the gospel, but also serving others in the sense of, you know, fulfilling a task. And so we talk, before, but I, before I can you know, make this trip, guys, he says, I've got another job I need to do. He says, I've got this gift, uh, this gift that I'm going to carry to Jerusalem from Christians, yeah, yeah, and particularly Gentile Christians. Talk there in verse 27. You know, you know, they're, they are sharing monetarily with Christians in Judea, but these Christians are from where? Verse 26, Macedonia and Achaia. Go back, Acts 16, no, you can't go there, you need to go over here, and that's where he goes. He needs to go into Macedonia, down to Achaia. And so years later now, those saints, those Christians, predominantly would have been Gentiles. Those Christians are now have heard of a need of, Christ, of spiritual brethren in, in Judea and Jerusalem. They're suffering, he says, and they're going to send a gift. And Paul is part of the the group of brethren who are carrying this gift you know, down to Rome. And so Paul says, I'm coming to Rome, but I've got this gift I need to transport you know, on behalf of these brethren because they're doing it for the poor saints in Jerusalem. And so you see the church looking out for their spiritual family, Christians taking care of Christians. And so we'll end on this because it ends with chapter uh, 15 with a prayer, a very personal prayer. And so Paul asked the, the, you know, the Roman brethren, he says, but, but I, need you to be, I need you to pray for me. And, and the New American Standard wording, he says, you know, I need you to strive together with me in your prayers to God. That's strong language. I need, I need you to strive together with me in your prayers to God. What does that suggest about the nature of that prayer? It's fervent, it's earnest, it's diligent. There's an intensity there. there there's a passion there. It, you know, so basically he says, I need you to work really hard in your prayers. I need you to work really hard with me in, in your prayers right now. And there's three things he requested. You see, one, pray that I'll be rescued from enemies of the gospel. Had Paul already experienced that? Yes. And he knew there were enemies in Judea. <laughs> People who did not like Paul at all. They were enemies of the cross, of Christ, but also they were enemies of Paul. Many of those Jews hated him, wanted him dead. He said, pray that you know, I'll be rescued. What's in it? He is, but just not in the way he thought he would. He says, pray that you know, my service, this gift, is received acceptably. You know, so he wants success in that. And he says, and pray that I'll arrive in Rome safely to enjoy rest with you. I think that's an interesting insight into the man and the servant, Paul. Thank you for your attention. Appreciate it.